0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. I'm always very excited when we get back to Brashit because we've been spending many months in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which, don't get me wrong, they're lovely books of Torah, but I love the narrative of being back in Genesis and then in Exodus. Uh, We have a little while before we get back to sacrifices, which is lovely, at least sacrifices of animals, which is great. There is something very powerful about reading a creation story over and over again, especially because we know it so well. I think if you stopped any person, really, it doesn't even have to be a Jew, if you stopped any person on the street and you said, what is the creation story? They would at least know that it was seven days, right? There there are ways in which our world, even today, reflects the creation story of thousands of years ago, maybe even millions of years ago, depending on if you are someone who's going with religion or going with science. And It's just, it's something that's known, right? It's a story that is known. It's a story that when we read it, you could gloss over passages. It's like a good book, right? A a book that you read multiple times. You still love it, but you know what's about to come. You know what's inside it. So I was reading through this known story again this week, and something popped out to me that had never made me think about the way in which we tell the story of creation in in its chapters, meaning we have the first creation story in chapter one, the second creation story in chapter two, that's a whole class in and of itself. And then we get the list of names after the Cain and Abel story, we get the list of names of those who come after Adam and Eve and their children. And then we get to chapter six. And when we get to chapter six, all of a sudden, It actually reminds us a lot of the God that we experience in Exodus, not so much the God that we experience in the book of Genesis. So we're gonna look at a passage from chapter one and a passage from chapter six. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. I think that what we are seeing here in the creation story is that God was very excited by all that God had created especially humans, which is good for us, right? It's good that, it, that God wasn't more excited by grass than, than by the humans, right? That's, that, that is good. And, and even it says so in the, in the creation story, it says, and it was very good, or they were very good. But then when you get to chapter six, God is very disappointed in the creation of people. And so I want us to explore why and potentially how it's important for us to have both of those narratives when we think about creation, not just the narrative that people were created and God thought they were good. So unfortunately, I'm gonna do a lot of the, the reading because I have the microphone for those who are watching on live stream. but I am gonna ask questions and I would love to hear people's responses and thoughts and, um, and answers. Okay, chapter 1, verse 26. We already read this in, in Hebrew. Uh we didn't. Yeah, we did. We already read this in Hebrew today, so I'm gonna read it for us in English just for time's sake. And God said, Let us make humans in our image after our likeness. The classic question is who is our? They shall rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, the whole earth, and all the creeping things that creep on earth. And God created humans. In the divine image, creating it in the image of God. Creating human in the image of God. Creating them male and female. If you're interested in that part of this, uh, that was what I spoke about last year, actually. That that all humans were first created non-binary and then were created into the binary forms of male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fertile and increase, fill the earth and master it, and rule the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the living things that creep on the earth, right? So do what we do as humans today. And God saw all that had been made and found it very good. Et kol asher hine tov me'od. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So the sixth day, great day, right? God did a great job. God was very happy with God's creations. Then we get to chapter six, and it says, God saw how great was human's wickedness on earth, how every plan devised by the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, and God regretted having made humankind on earth. So he went from God being very happy with God's creation to now not only thinking that potentially there was some kind of sadness that comes with the way in which humans are acting on the earth, but an actual regret, an actual sadness Around having created them, with a sorrowful heart, God said, "I will blot out from the earth humankind whom I created, humans together with beasts, creeping things, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them." Okay, so um, hopefully this isn't going to be a complete downer of a class. So everyone, just put a smile on your face. Um, But what what are some of your questions about these two passages and the connection of these two passages? Yeah, Ben. So God regret, regrets making humans, so God wants to wipe out everything. Right, okay. So all of a sudden, God regrets humans, and so, okay, let's just start over, right? If I'm going to regret one thing, then, then it's possible that I'm going to regret everything, so let's just wipe everything out. Hannah. Great. Fantastic. Fantastic, so this reminds, for all of you who either have kids or who have worked in classrooms or in in experiential settings with children, this sounds like when a a kid makes a work of art, right, makes some kind of project, and either it can go one of two ways, right, either starts really good or it starts really bad, and then it can turn into the opposite. Oh, I was so happy with that, but then they look at their partners and they say, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever created. Right so there are extremes in what's happening here. God thinks that humans are very good. And then humans now by the way humans do bad things, right? In these in the in the chapters in between, they're killing each other. They're they're not listening to one another. They're just using their animalistic instincts to be quite frank to rule the world. And so God regrets that. Any other thoughts or comments on this? Yeah, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah, Rachel's just saying that it's not just children. Adults, of course, also get into this mindset as well, right? Of something that, and we're going to actually see this by the end, that this is a part of just any kind of creation. Whatever type of creation is being done, whether it's humans or art. Sorry, there's an ambulance literally right over there, so that's why we're hearing so much noise. Um, that this is something that happens to all humans, right? Which makes this story extremely relevant, right? Even if it happened at the beginning of the time of our Torah, at the beginning of the time of our people, it is an extremely relevant idea. Rabbi Charney If God can regret the unintended consequences of God's action, yeah. how the more so should we be sort of the unintended consequences of our actions? Great. So if God can can regret or... Uh, worry about the consequences of God's actions, how much more so should we as humans be aware of how we might regret our own actions or how we might come to understand things that we've done and then potentially be hard on ourselves. Though that's not what Rabbi Chorney said. I added that. Elon. <laughs> Which is a very interesting concept of our understanding of God. Great. So this is showing us, by, by reading also the sixth chapter, we see here that, well, and Elon's saying that this is, it teaches us something about God, that God can actually reflect back on actions that God has done and also say that wasn't perfect. Right that wasn't the best it could have been or that wasn't what what it should have been and now I regret it. 1 2 and then we're going to continue on. It's Beautiful. Great. So maybe it's not that God regrets the actual creation of people, but rather the mentorship, the teaching that God should have done so the human beings knew how to interact with one another, knew not to kill one another, knew that when you kill your brother, you don't say, am I my brother's keeper? That's not really the right response, right? The right response is probably sorry, and then figuring out why you did it and moving on from there. Yeah, Michael. Yeah. Um if uh, uh if if we are created in the image of God as we put on the sheet, yeah. um, and it says the scroll over there, yeah. Right, and um uh if God had uh made big mistakes, right, then we created the image of God can also make big mistakes. Right. And, and then instead of being harder on ourselves, we can be more forgiving our ourselves. Great. Right. Great. So one of the big lessons that we can learn from this is that if God is able to say, I made a mistake, whether that's because God didn't do enough mentoring or whether that's because God is just now coming to the realization that not everything God does is going to be perfect, then we too, as God's creations, right, as kind of like the second generation godly beings, that we too should be able to be easier on ourselves when we think that something we've done is a mistake or something that we've done is not perfect. Okay. Let's look at a few. Oh, Bonnie. (laughs) Yeah. To take care of it and to the Beautiful. Right. Right. So I, I think we're 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 understanding here that that God God was still in the early stages of parenting or teaching or whatever, whatever metaphor we want to use. Right. God was not yet aware of how to be that leader figure god just created something and then said okay i'm going to see what it does but there was no insane master that doesn't seem to be a way in which the people had any idea what that might mean and so again we took to our animalistic instincts of understanding what master meant and then we did we we acted in ways that god regretted okay i'm really going to go on i see other hands i'm going to pretend i don't okay rashi Rashi says here. Uh, pa, 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 pa. okay, so picking up on Vayinachem Hashem Ki Asa, the God was something, we're gonna translate that in a second, for what God created. And it says the Lord repented. Vayinachem means to comfort typically, but also nichum avelim, comforting the mourners, right? And Rashi is translating it here as repent. So a very different word than the word that we're using to translate, at least into English, when we talk about comfort. Um, Rashi then says, sorry, I should have kept reading. Rashi then says, the first word is connected with, with that which means comfort. It was a consolation to God that God had created humans on earth. For had humans been one of the heavenly beings, they would have incited the angels also to rebel against God. So Rashi's actually going in the opposite direction of the way that some of you just um, uh, understood this, explained it out. That it was a consolation to God, right? That that this was only human beings doing this; that it wasn't all all of God's creations, all of these angels, all of these godly beings. Okay, but Ibn Ezra says, so these are just working on the words, Vayinachem, right? This is, just, this is just working on what the word Vayinachem means. So again, Ibn Ezra is understanding this as, and it repented the Lord. Okay, again, not a, not a phrase that we would say as something that we, we understand as a comfort. Repent and comfort don't typically go together. Ibn Ezra said, the the Torah, sorry, spoke in the language of humans, for we know that God is not a person that should repent. Okay, so again, taking the opposite of what some of you have shared, that if we can see ourselves in what God is doing, well, fine, but we shouldn't imagine that God is then going to do what we humans do, right? We shouldn't look at it the opposite way. This term is used because if a human being acted in the way God did, destroying creation. It would be said of the person that they repented, what do you think that means? What do you think that last sentence means here? If a human being acted in the way God did, destroying creation, right? In this case, it's a big creation. It's not just, you know, a sukkah made out of graham crackers. It's a big creation. So if a human being acted in the way God did and destroyed that creation, it would be said of the person that they repented. What does that mean? Yeah, Josh. Oh, I just, if I look at you long enough. <laughs> yeah. Then if you've created something which is unholy or a sin or something from which you need to repent for, you destroy it and move on. So if you take your sukkah and you build it a non kosher sukkah, Okay, so so the idea that you can take something down or destroy some kind of creation, but then there is the chance and, and potentially the, the implication that you must then do it again differently and better for the next year. That's the repentance part, right? The ability for you to be able to do it again, but also that you should. Right, Tate. Bad in the world that's causing harm, yeah. and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and you just walk away and let it continue to cause harm, you haven't repented. You have to take some action to stop the harm. Great. So are you are you saying you in terms of God in this case? Either way. Okay. Or, or to go with what Ivan Ezra is saying, if if a person says, Oh wow, I messed up, that's causing harm, they haven't repented. Great. Okay. So there is something, there is something to be said for, uh, similar to what Josh was saying, like the action that comes after, right? That if you, that if you don't do something to then change your action or change the way in which you deal with your creation, that you, ha- then you haven't repented. You're just letting it be. And then they can again, destroy or act unfairly or whatever it is that they are dealing with. Does that, is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Ah. Great. Interesting. So needing to really check yourself, right? To be able to check your ego and to be able to say, am I not willing to recognize this as a mistake because I'm not willing to say I could have done better or I should have done differently? That's a beautiful, a beautiful idea, especially in terms of God. When we don't really think of God as having ego, we actually give God the ego that God has. Ah, uh uh-huh. I mean, that's a pretty big thing like to wipe out all of the time, Right, right. It's just down your sugar, right. Right, sure. Sure. So sort of i Sure. I I think I mean, I think the the thing that struck me was that that we should struggle with it, right? We should struggle with the fact that not only does God say that that God regrets creating us right for all intents and purposes but that the second part of that is not let me teach them let me explain to them how to do better but let's just wipe them out and start all over again which is also not great leadership because if you regret something as as we've said from this side of the room if you regret something you should then change how it's being done you shouldn't just say well let's start again because you then you are not showing that you've learned. And also those who are affected by the decision you first made haven't understood how it can be, uh, how it can be redone, how it can be something that you can, that you can do better next time. Yeah, Rabbi Charny. Uh-huh, yeah. That's a, that's a really powerful a really powerful and, and um, difficult theological idea, right? That if we are a people that don't believe in two different kinds of gods, meaning the God who creates and the God who destroys, if we believe in one being, that how can that one source have within itself both the power to create and the power to feel so strongly to destroy? And where do we align ourselves in in understanding those two different urges, right? And and where does God fit in in terms of the comfort and the support of the creation if then the destruction is is kind of the outcome or the the way in which is easiest to go if you miss the mark? Right, right. Because, because. Great. Great. Right, so the idea of bal tashchit is that it's not just a Keep everything the way it is, but if you're going to destroy something, it's so that something else can be done in a in a more beautiful way. Just like if there's a dead tree, right? You're supposed to actually get rid of it because it's not going to do anything but destroy the other living things around it, and therefore you should plant something um, something new that can help the help the earth. Okay, I want to get to one more source, so shmuel really quickly, and then we're going to go to the next source. Great, I am definitely not going to try and repeat all of that. That was beautiful, and I think that one one piece that comes from that Torah that you just shared is that in bringing both of these pieces of Torah together, we recognize that so much of what you're sharing in terms of that partnership that we feel with God comes from the first passage. But if we're to focus on the second passage, we might wonder why, right? If we think that God can just destroy us and actually wasn't so happy with our creation, then why do we feel this close partnership? But I think what you're getting at is this idea that we as partners can understand that God, like us, sees the good, sees the places in which things need to be changed, sees where things need to be destroyed in order to recreate, et cetera. So that's a beautiful, beautiful idea. And part of what you just said is actually going to be brought up in this last text that I want to to share. So I'm not going to comment on that for right this second. Um, the dad's Kanim just very quickly, says that this this moment where God's heart was saddened was because it was as if God was losing a family member, right? Just like we say, Nihum avelim, the fact that we are losing, that we are comforting, sorry, the mourners, that God too felt this way. Now, one could say, okay, well then why would you destroy them? Um, great question. I, I don't know. But the dad's kenim seems to think that that sadness is coming from, even if God felt the need to destroy, that the sadness is just as deep as someone who you are truly, truly mourning and truly um, trying to keep close. Okay, this last text that I want to share, and then we'll go into Musa very quickly. Chizkuni, there's two pieces here. I'm just going to speak to the first one. So if you want to read the second one, you definitely can. Um, there are three different ways that we should understand atsev, excuse me, el libo, that we should understand this, this sadness of God's heart. That one, it was deliberate failure to fulfill a vow, such as when it could not be fulfilled as the person who had made it does not have the means to do so. Meaning that I think there's actually more of that, that teacher type. Uh, mentor or leader type experience that if God had vowed to create these humans, then God should have followed through, right? God should have followed through with how to make, how to continue to make them very good um, and not just leave them to their own vices. Number two, one has simply changed their mind. They're just... They thought that it was great to begin with, and now it's not so great. That's kind of self-explanatory. And the third one is it is used to repeat it is used repeatedly. This word Nahum is used repeatedly in connection with God having second thoughts about something God had done. And the oh, did I not? Oh, no, I did. And the example that's used here says there is no need here to repeat how God repented the decree God had issued against the Jewish people after they had made the golden calf and had danced around it, calling it a deity. God had regretted allowing Shaul, Saul, to have been crowned king, and God ordered Shmuel, Samuel, to anoint his successor. So we see all these ways in which God has brought, brought into our lives, or brought to power, brought to creation, something that... God thought that we thought was gonna be great, and then it didn't go so well. It's a very human idea, right? We all understand that. We might even understand that, and I mean this seriously, with our own progeny, with our own kids, right? That we think at times, this is the most amazing child, and then they might do something. I know I've done that to my parents, right? Wow, she is such a good kid. And then she does something, and they think to themselves, Well, I once said she was a really good kid, but in this moment, I'm not so sure, right? Not as egregious, obviously, but just the way in which you create something and then you let it go out into the world, right? The idea of ufkozal, of letting a a bird fly away from its nest, you don't know what's going to happen to that creation once you put it into the world. So you hope that it stays very good, but you're not so sure. And thank goodness we don't go and then destroy all of our creations based off of a little bit of disappointment. But there are ways in which we as humans, when something is not perfect, we feel a little bit of regret, we feel a little bit of sadness, we want something to have been done better. So I I gave you this last quote here and I was so glad to find a quote from an artist because I think that we notice this most in art. Pablo Picasso said, every act of creation is first an act of destruction. Which is true. You have to break something down before you can see its full potential. And that's not to say that it's our job to break people down. I'm not trying to say that, nor do I think that's true. But the boundaries that we put on kids when they're learning to just navigate the world... That, that in and of itself is a type of, not in the negative connotation, but it is a type of destruction. You're not allowing everything to be open to them such that they can experience all things or potentially even harm themselves. Those boundaries are necessary to keep to, keep to what needs to grow and what needs to be done in an efficient way. And when you create a piece of art, think especially about clay, You have to mold it. You have to shape it. You have to work it before it can become that beautiful something at the end. So I hope what we can learn from this as we go into our Torah is that, yes, human beings were made very good. And that as many of you have said, and as I'll just reiterate, I think it's now our job to figure out how we can be very good. It's not God's job. And it's not God's job, even I would push back on the Torah, it's not God's job to be disappointed or to regret either. Because in today's day, we are created in the image of God, but we were created by people. And so, what's important for us as children and as partners and as siblings and as friends is to understand what it means to be very good, what it means to understand to be our best selves. And to recognize that our actions and the things that we do in this world can cause other people to feel really good about us as elements of creation or to feel like we could do better. So I hope that as we go throughout this Torah, you find many ways and this year, many ways to find your sparks of being very good in this world and creating a much better place for us to live.